You know what you look like to me? With your Today Show tote bag and your Velcro shoes? You look like a rube. A heavily mustachioed, shockwig-wearing rube with little taste. The ability to pun has made you a living, but you're not more than one shifting time slot away from cable access. Are you, Mr. Shallot? Uh, see, this is why I don't like to go on press junkets anymore. And that speech impediment you're leaning into so hard, pure vaudeville shtick. What was your father, man? Was he a bow tie salesman? Did he stink of the neck? And oh, how quickly the school newspaper found you. All those awful rhymes and poorly written reviews, those tedious verbal fumblings, hastily scrawling your notes in the back of the AV supply closet while you could only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the NBC. Uh, anyway, if we could just get back to the interview. Jeffrey Lyons tried to interview me once. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Ah, oh, what a quinky dink! You ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti? I just ate chopped liver with saltines and Asti Spumanti last night. Uh, anyway, let's talk about this new film, shall we? The Silence of the Lambs. You're thinking, with all the bloodshed and over-the-top performances, it should have been called The Violence of the Hams? Oh, that's good. You're thinking you're not sure what I chew more, my victims or the scenery? Oh, 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 that's great. Just let me grab a pen. You're thinking between Buffalo Bill in this film, Dan Aykroyd in Nothing But Trouble, and John Goodman in King Ralph, there are a lot of people wearing ill-fitting skin suits at the movies this week. Yes! Perfect! Ah! Again, I could have sworn I had a pen here somewhere. Looking for this? Oh, why, yes, I... Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. <laughs> Welcome to episode 38 of Opening Weekend. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week we're traveling back to February 15th, 1991. The world was two weeks away from the end of the first Gulf War and had somehow survived Adam Sandler's first week on Saturday Night Live. CNC Music Factory demanded that everybody dance now. And the New York Giants had just done in the Super Bowl what Jodie Foster was about to do on movie screens, defeat an enemy named after Buffalo Bill. But before we dive into Foster's starring turn alongside Anthony Hopkins in The Silence of the Lambs, as well as the week's other wide releases, John Goodman in King Ralph, and Dan Aykroyd's Nothing But Trouble, Fred and Dan, where were you guys in February of 1991? Well, Golly, Jason, I think we were about, we were working on, on Hamlet well, at the old Hofstra University, right? Weren't we? You're right. Because I was a freshman. This was my freshman year of college at, at Hofstra University. And I was a sophomore. <laughs> yeah, and th we would have been in, in rehearsals now, yeah. right? You were playing, you were the ghost mm -hmm. of Hamlet's father. The ghost and the player king. The, the ghost and the player king. I was the sailor. I oh, was, the uh, sailor! Yes. He's got some great lines. No, he's got one line. And, oh. and you were one of the players, weren't you? I was a player. As a matter of fact, that is how. Yes, I was. Uh, I was one of the. I was part of the troupe of players, and that's when I learned how to play guitar. 
because you just reminded me of that. Uh Uh, Because before the winter break or whenever we were cast, Peter Sander, who's directing, was like, does anyone know how to play guitar? I didn't know how to play guitar. Uh. I played piano and drums. And I thought, yeah, I can do it. How hard can it be? Uh, It turns out it's pretty hard. It's difficult. And um, so I learned, I was able to learn one song. It was Rocky Raccoon by the Beatles. And that's what I played during the player scene, but I just played it really slow. So it sounded very, because it was like, you know, there's a couple minor chords, like an E minor and A minor chord. So I just thought, and I I worked so hard. I figured, yeah, I'll be able to learn some music for Hamlet. And no, I ended up doing the Beatles. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that was, so we were doing... So you're we fresh doing, in the year. You're doing the Shakespeare. What were your What were your impressions? How were you feeling at that point? You know, like your first year, second semester of your first yeah, year. Yeah, brand new to college. Right? Feeling in the groove? You're feeling good about it? Somewhat. I think so. I feel like there was a lot of uh, tension around that time because there was a lot of uh, infighting within the drama department mm. because of uh, Mel Gibson's Hamlet. That movie had come out. <laughs> And I mean, that was out at the same time. Are you serious yeah. that you thought that there was like... Yeah, no, I, I, I seem to remember there being like there were different camps because because we were oh, so entrenched in Hamlet at the time and there were people who really, really liked it and other people who didn't like it. And they were right. and some people preferred the Hofstra Hamlet. And so, I, so was I, that I, I guess so. No, we hadn't contention? even gotten to that point. It was, it was just about like talking about the movie. And I just remember very like heated arguments, you know, in the main mm. calf and in bits and bites about, you know... It, whether it was it, Mel Gibson was good or was a was a good interpretation, I remember okay. that. Okay, so funny. Um, gosh, I'm sure you too- were better than the guy who played the sailor in the movie, and that goes without <laughs> oh, saying. God, yeah, I yeah, because I I brought I, to me. I, I see. I had never seen, I had never seen a Jewish sailor portrayed truthfully <laughs> before on screen or stage. So I wanted to bring that verisimilitude. Finally, what would right. have been missing, you know, right. that little Absolutely. touch of touch of, you know, Yiddish luck. What, what, <laughs> what was a, a turning point for me around this time? Speaking of Hamlet was really like I started to my love and understanding of Shakespeare happened around this time, mm-hmm. because before this, I, uh-huh. I, I thought Shakespeare was literally only for you know, people in the UK or English professors, I literally thought it was, <laughs> I, Shakespeare was not something that I was able to crack open or understand mm-hmm. in high school. And I just figured, which was ironic since I was going to a school where like it was such a big Shakespeare program. Oh, with this big this is exactly festival. the same thing with me, Fred. I've talked yeah, well, about I think that. we've spoken yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah, because and- I, I have the same thing, right? My teachers in high school were like, well, why are you going to Hofstra if you're not? It was like <laughs> the one thing that I was like a punk about. Like I was like, ugh, Shakespeare. Yeah, I I, and I didn't. I didn't even have. I didn't have the disdain for it that you had. I just didn't. I didn't understand it. And I remember, and it was probably in preparation for the Hamlet auditions. But I remember very vividly being in the freshman dorm. I didn't live there. I lived in 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 Tower E Enterprise. But I remember being in Andy Wells and Mike Polofsky's room with the Riverside Shakespeare and reading the Hamlet soliloquy. Um, uh, uh, which one? Uh, oh, what a peasant slave. Oh, what a mm-hmm. rogue and peasant slave of mine, mm-hmm. that speech. And suddenly it made sense. And I was like, holy shit, I, I know what he's saying. I get yeah. it. And it was such a breakthrough. And I remember running around and be like, no, 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 guys, guys, this, this makes sense. It's English. It's actually, it's, it, he's speaking English. It clicked <laughs> for you. It Isn't just it like clicked. a magic eye puzzle when you look at it? Like yes. when you're at that age and it's like, it's like you look at a speech and it looks like gobbledygook. It looks impenetrable. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, 
one thing comes into focus and then it all starts to come into focus and you can yeah. you can hook in and then you're like oh whoa, 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 wait a second and like my appearance as the ghost was like a lot of dry eyes and i had like all the ghosty oh. makeup on in this military outfit i look like the the, the, ghost, the ghost from the ghost and, Ms. and mrs muir yeah. basically i look exactly like that <laughs> i had this like naval uniform on and you know like and, like some spray white spray on the shoulders and lots of white and blue makeup and white may and but i also from what I remember, it was like I didn't have a lot of room to play with up there on the platform I was walking on. And it was, you know, and I was being told to kind of like just look straight ahead, just like, you know, don't don't be like looking like, oh, where am I stepping? You know, don't be too careful <laughs> because a ghost wouldn't be. So that's what I'm getting from Peter, you know, about just kind of. And then who was the that dramaturg guy? Thomas, Mc, is it McCaffrey? McCary, oh, yeah. I think. McCary. McCary. Thomas McCary. Tom McCary, right? Tom McCary. So it was yeah, like Tom Tennessee McCary. Williams. He always had oh, some yeah. horrible shit to say to me, some nasty <laughs> thing to say to me about my performances. Um, he always. was like Blanche Dubois. Well, he, he was. Was, he's Blanche Dubois, and he was very close with our uh, our dear, beloved, uh, uh, the late Dr. Richard Mason, um, uh, theater professor in the department. And so, yeah, so McCary was around or whatever in, in rehearsals or pre... And I remember him coming up to me and saying... Try not to look like you're taking a drunk driving test. <laughs> that was like his note for me. I was like, thank you, dramaturg. And, um, yeah, exactly. Like, Thanks for directing the show. Try not to look show. like a director because you're not the fucking director. <laughs> Sit down, Blanche. But he was right. I was a little petrified, you know, and I was also being directed to kind of like just kind of keep this kind of like very steady focus. So I looked like I was taking a drunk driving test, whatever. And Dr. Mason... Also not the director of the play. But his guy, he had to stick his oar in. He would watch the rehearsal and he said, you know, when you're walking, it was kind of like giving me the same note as McCary, but a little nicer. He was like, all you have to do as you're walking across, just look out to the back of the audience. Just look out as if you hear something like a bird or something, like you just hear a noise. Like just look out and, and lift your arms slightly. And then let it come back to rest at your side and keep going. Like, but he was like, take a pause somewhere. Because I was just, I was appearing and I was just walking straight across the platform. People were like, oh, stop, what, oh, oh throw a stick at it, whatever. And, and I get to the other side. So he was like, you know, for variety. He's right. Now I'm thinking as a, as a person, as a human, as a forget, as an actor or a director, just as a person. I'm like, oh, yeah, sometimes you stop and take something in and like land for a second. So... I did what he said. I was like, all right, I don't know why, you know, but I was like always trying to make Dr. Mason happy. So I remember doing it. It was still a rehearsal or a dress rehearsal or something. I'm walking and I just turn. I look out, lift my arm slightly. And then I turn back. And as I turn, though, out, I hear, <laughs> from way in the dark oh way in the back of the house Dr. Mason was sitting up in the balcony and I did the thing for him and he was tickled that I did it and so you hear this one laugh piercing as the ghost walks out and that's my favorite memory of it actually that's my favorite memory of him is like taking Dr. Mason's surreptitious note that he should not have been giving me and pleasing him. So sorry, Peter, if you're listening. <laughs> it's so funny that we're talking about theater because this was my kind of my first theater experience was just about to happen in high school. I was a senior in high school. Um, you hadn't done it before senior year. Correct. You wow. Well, I say kind of because once in catechism, also known as CCD, also known as religious instruction, I did play Jesus in our Stations of the Cross play. Uh -huh. In which I had to say, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That was my one line. 
Mm. I did it very convincingly. <laughs> um, um, but that was, so that was my f- debut. That was about, you know, I don't know, 10 years before this, but this mm. was, uh, we had a senior play at uh, JFK high school, also known as jail for kids. And we did, <laughs> we did damn Yankees. And this was my first time like doing an actual scripted play i was the coach i wanted to be the devil I, so bad i was gonna say you should be the devil i still want to do that part it was the part Me i was too. gunning for it's such a great part i was i was gunning for it i didn't get that part they made me the coach i think probably be, for the same reason that, uh, that i got cast in all the roles i got cast in, in hofstra because i <laughs> looked older i looked <laughs> old enough to passably be i was uh, either going to be the coach or old joe because in damn yankees right. he makes a deal yeah. faustian deal with the devil and becomes young baseball player joe but before that he's old joe so i was those were the roles i was going to get and i got the coach and it was the first time i ever did a bit you know um <laughs> and what it was the, what the bit was was in the dugout giving the signs you know he had to give the signs to joe who was up at bat so i made a whole thing shtick out of it where i sniffed my underarm and did all this <laughs> all, you know, all these ridiculous bits <laughs> That's you know great. and it got laughs so these this is the first bit the first laughs the first applause ever, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the first anything ever. Um, and right around this time, I start, you'll be happy to know, I start being far less dorky, <laughs> even though I'm still in the marching band and still the editor of the school <laughs> newspaper and still doing all the dork things. You yep. know, this is the part where I start to, you know, come into myself a little. The acid wash jeans and the Phil Collins shirt, you'll be happy to know, are still there. Of course because they are. You, of course, because they, they were there in Hofstra. I brought, they brought them, them with college. me to Hofstra. Yeah. This is where these are born. Is in I this wore them period. when I went as you for Halloween. When we went you as each other. You were me for Halloween. Yeah, I was I, somebody else, but you were me, and that is how. And you put on. You put a little. You put a little nose putty on from your Ben Nye <laughs> oh, kit. No. Yeah, you put a little bit of that on, and oh, you put on my no. Tidewater Tides hat or similar. And yeah. then my Phil Collins shirt. Yeah. 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 And the and so the brown good. bomber jacket that I had forever. That's right. Yeah. This that is when jacket, that looked, I still remember that fucking jacket. Oh yeah. And it was falling apart. That that cla- and the acid wash jeans. The classic yeah. Dan look is born. <laughs> I in swear to this God, I just period. I pictured you in it just now. I pictured yes. you in it. And I yeah. swear to God, this is not a punchline. I got hungry for Taco Bell. <laughs> I saw I pictured you in it and I started thinking, we're going I thought in my head. And now we're going to Taco Bell. We're getting on the, we're getting in the fire. I had a Pavlovian response. I and was we're like, getting Mexi I'm going melts. to eat Taco Bell. Now. And we're getting Mexi melts, which they no longer make. <laughs> what? There. That's, a, that's a Shonda. A Shonda. <laughs> that is My a Shonda. My sailor from Hamlet would say, Hamlet is a Shonda. <laughs> Bring me a Mexi melt. I can't believe, why don't they make the Mexi melts? they not make the most delicious thing there? The closest thing is you can get the mini beefy quesadilla it's like no. a quesadilla wrap but it's not the fucking i'm a same. traditionalist i'm a taco it's bell a traditionalist too. they put it in the steamer they put it in the steamer <sighs> how many <sighs> things these days can you put in the steamer there are very Heathens. few foods that can go right in your mouth and come right out your ass seven <laughs> minutes later the mexi melt is nature's perfect food <laughs> it's nature's perfect food and nature's perfect laxative wrapped up in one <laughs> yes. literally wrapped up in one <laughs> So that was it. This was and when I got. Speaking of King Ralph. <laughs> oh, that's true. Excuse me, Sir Cedric. Yes. I do believe we found an heir. Is he everything we might have hoped? Allow me to introduce our sovereign lord, Ralph Jones, King of Great Britain, head of the Commonwealth, defender of the faith. John Goodman. Is everybody having a good time? Is King Ralph. Good talent, Miss Molly. 
Where did they find this man? John Goodman. Peter O'Toole. He's uncouth. He's unkempt. He's the king. King Ralph. When the entire British royal family is accidentally killed in a bizarre and tasteless opening sequence, the heir to the throne proves to be a loutish American named Ralph Jones, played by John Goodman. Overnight, Ralph goes from sleazy Las Vegas lounge singer to King of England, and it falls to Royal Secretary Cedric Willingham, played by Peter O'Toole, to try to civilize him. But it's not easy weaning Ralph off of fast food, and even harder keeping him away from kindly stripper Miranda, played by Camille Kuduri. Meanwhile, another would-be heir, played by John Hurt, plots Ralph's demise. Also starring Richard Griffiths and Jolie Richardson, King Ralph earned $8.3 million over its opening weekend and $34 million domestically, taking in a total of $52.4 million worldwide. Fred and Dan, what'd you guys think of uh, King Ralph? I, I don't really know. I, I don't know what to say about this movie. Um, I did not see it when it first came out. I remember... I remember the trailer for it. I remember seeing the commercials and I remember, you know, John Goodman was fairly ubiquitous. Mm, I mean, yeah, he was all over. My, my first introduction to John Goodman was um, Revenge of the Nerds. Right. You know, he's the he, coach he, he, of the, Adam the Adams. Yeah. yeah. That was the first thing I remember seeing him in. I always, that's, I always go back to him in that. And this was a, I feel like a weird time for John Goodman because, mm. you know, he was on Roseanne. Roseanne was like a couple of years old now, I feel yeah. like. Oh, was it already? It okay. Yeah. yeah, it started in 88. And he oh. was one of those guys that I feel like, again, like people knew, like he was in Sea of Love, you know, yeah, like he, he, was right. a, he was, he was what he is still now, like a great supporting actor. Right. And he Had was the doing babe that. already come out? Do we have the babe? Babe the, was no, after I this, I believe. a couple years later. Okay. But this was later. this weird time where he was this guy who was always there, and then it, like he got Roseanne, and that really put him in the spotlight. And then I think someone in Hollywood, or I'm sure he wanted to really, they were like, "All right, let's let's try to elevate this guy now." Yeah. And by all, it, it should work. He's he's a fantastic actor. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. he's. He's really great. There's nothing, I can't think of a movie where I've seen him, even this, where I've been like, ah, Goodman stinks. Like, uh, he's, he's right, the weak yeah, link. No. He's, he's great. He always, you know, goes, you know, uh, uh, what, what's your phrase again, Dan? Full, full freight. Full freight. He always goes full, full freight. He's never not full freight, especially in all the Coen brother thing. He's Coen great brothers in the thing. Coen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my God, Lebowski. I mean, it's, 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 it's an unbelievable, he, he's, he's always great. Mm-hmm. And the I Flintstones. Think he was uncomfortable in the Flintstones, but <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But even this, he's more. He's he's. I yeah. at first I was like, mm, this is like Flintstones territory, and then I was like, no, no, no. He's got he's got a, a handle on that. He, he he doesn't seem as embarrassed by this. But yeah, I, I, absolutely. And that's the thing. He's very he's very good. He's very likable. Mm-hmm. He's lovable, but it doesn't it doesn't work. It he doesn't fit. It. Like they were they were. I guess they were trying to give him that leading man position. And it's not that he drops the ball. It's not that he can't carry a movie. It's just a weird movie. The tone is so strange because it could either be like crazy over the top, like Chris Farley or like a Jack Black, Mm -hmm. where it's just like nuts, where he just comes in and he's just like- That's it, Fred. But Goodman doesn't do that. And And what I like, and here's the thing, 
Goodman plays everything very sincerely and grounded. Mm -hmm. And when he does that, I really like him. I find it a little boring, but I like it. It's when he gets, when he starts to do like the goofy physical comedy where he seems uncomfortable. It should have been made five years later with Chris Farley or 10 years later with Jack Black, or it should have been made 10 or 15 years earlier with John fucking Belushi. Sure, Or yeah. Bill Murray, or even then Eddie Murphy. Mm. It needs mm. more of a chaos element. It needs, uh, it, it, it yeah. needs more slob to go with all the snobs. It needs <laughs> like the, the polar opposite of, of, of the surroundings. And he's not that. He's not that kind of comedian. And he's... He's not a comedian. He's a great actor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Gentlemen, so yeah. the movie you're describing, it's a little Meet movie Wally I Sparks. like to call Meet Wally Sparks. Oh. <laughs> and we reviewed this movie. I did, I did write Rodney down too. I was like, you a need a Rodney here. Yeah. No. And, and, and that's the thing because I thought about that as well. For a second, I thought, this is yeah. Meet Wally Sparks. They should have someone like, but I, th I thought, no, because then it would be a terrible movie. And at least John Goodman is, he's trying to give it some honesty and sincerity and likability. You like him, you know, you yeah, like absolutely. this guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. There's very little not to like about him. Um, You talked about tone, Fred, and I, I had, I had sort of um, um, a questioning uh, uh, reaction to the to this movie, but again, I didn't dislike it. I actually liked it. I actually liked it a lot more than I thought I was gonna like it. I, by the end, I was like, "Oh, that was satisfying. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that way more than I thought." But I was questioning it throughout. Here's why: because I was going, "This must have been so much fun for kids." Oh wait, we have a stripper scene. This must have been so much fun for kids. Oh, wait, we have a scene that has this kind of content. You take mm -hmm. a cup, two, three things out. This is a fun kids movie with a Jack Black, you know, that that Jack Black would have made today as a kids movie. You oh, know what I mean? The movie begins with an entire royal family, including kids including being children. electrocuted. Okay, but, but... They did it in the cutest way possible. Their hair a, just went up right. like, whoop. They do it in a very silly, funny way. You take those things out, you have a great fun kids movie because what kid wouldn't be like you know um uh is hasn't dreamed of like someday being king of something you know and being sure. able to have anything they want and the pinball machine it's like the toy you know in a way yeah, I, that's what i thought i was thinking is when when he's got like yeah. the bowling alley in there yeah, and the, drum and the set, pinball I thought, oh my machine God, this is the toy yeah 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 so it's a it's kind of a kid fantasy that doesn't know that it wants to be a kid fantasy what won me over at the end and throughout the first third of the movie, I'm going, oh, that sucks. O'Toole's phoning it in. But then by the end, you go, oh, no, he's not. He's not because he knows the whole time that he is, you know, spoiler alert, the actual other rightful other heir. Rightful and it's heir. actually yeah. a fantastic performance because he's doing that British thing of sort of tamping it down, tamping it down and and, and keeping it, you know, keeping it. He's working with so much containment and you yeah. go, well, duh, that's what Peter O'Toole fucking does better than anybody is work with containment and sort of not trying to show anything. I had so much more fun watching this than I thought I was going to have. You know, Dan, I, I think I'm with I'm with you on it. And I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, like, Fred, I know you said you didn't think this is a terrible movie or anything. I start, but I really started off like. This is shit. This is shit. I don't like this. I was like, it's, the casting is wrong. It doesn't fit. He's uh, Goodman is a wonderful actor. He's not yeah. the right fit for this. And I thought my note about Peter O'Toole was Jesus Christ. It, it looks like his 
and because of what you say, there is payoff to it. Yes. But he's just so, uh, it just looks like his he's soul is inside. dying every yeah. moment he's on screen. It looks That's like he's, he's dead or dying, that it yes. is actively dying. And he doesn't yes. look amazing in it. He's, you know, he, he, yeah. he wasn't in the probably the best condition, you know, his, his many years of drinking and Lots smoking and whatever. That, yeah. And he's, I don't know how much longer we had him after this, but I was like, Hanging out with like, Richard Harris too much. It, yeah, it yeah. was like watching him was like time lapse photography of fruit <laughs> rotting. You know, when you see like an apple, and then it's like, oh god, it's nothing, and then there's you a raccoon skull here. next to it. Oh, see high spirits sometime. Yeah, phone, well, there you go, that which thing. is around the same time, right? So he's got to be with Gutenberg in that, which is like oh, ten times worse, brother. But yeah, so I was like, I was like, easy, oh. easy. But I was like, oh. I liked. But I liked Richard Griffiths. I thought he was very yeah. likable. I thought he was very yeah. always fun. And and yeah, and it, the beginning, Goodman is like, the, oh, I'm this Vegas guy, and I'm wearing these loud ties and stuff. I was like, oh, you're trying too hard. This is you're not Rodney. You're not this kind of character. But then he pretty quickly shifts into overgrown kid. Like I'm trying to do a good job here. I'm trying to learn the job and be good at it. Right. And that does work he I agree. is this likable guy who's yep. out of his depth but trying yeah, and he gives has it a these, shot i bought his relationship with the girl it's, the relationship with the girl is I lovely i love that i love the scene when he meets the um uh, uh is it is the country zambezi the uh the mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the african oh, um, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, when he meets him and then he's like, yeah. you want to just go get a beer? And then they're playing darts. And I was like, oh, that surprised me. I didn't think it was going to do that. I thought it was just going to be embarrassing incident yeah. in front of a dignitary. And then he wins him over. And I was like, well, that's really nice. That's yeah, they good. Go to the pub. There was an actual this scene in the middle between Goodman and O'Toole. I was like, oh, well, this is why it's John Goodman, because John Goodman's acting here with Peter O'Toole. Like he's an actor and he can go toe well, to toe. When O'Toole gives him the business and, and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you better he's shape like, you're gonna up do and this, get this or, shit together. Exactly. Basically, too much you're as gonna... I say, that was a great scene. That was a really scene. good scene. I was like, great oh, scene. Shit, that's a really good scene. Yeah. I, I laughed out loud when <laughs> when he's trying to knight the guy and he... <laughs> And he, oh he cuts his ear and he says, oh, I got him good. I got him good. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. And I loved the speech before Parliament at the end. I was like, it was beautiful. I was, when he's saying goodbye to Richard Griffiths and Peter O'Toole, I got, I fucking was moved. And I was yes, like, how did this too. movie get me? I started off saying fucking Ralph. I was like, even the font of the credits, I was like, oh, gee, I thought Wally Sparks looked ugly. I was like, this is like Comic Sans. I mean, it was like, you can't even get Helvetica for this. I mean, it was like, it was like, really? I was like, what, what, what Commodore did they do the credits? It was, it was really, I was so not into this movie. And then I was like, son of a bitch. Very charming. Not a great, not a high Sheila movie. No, but, but it was no. it, it was me. Uh, it was surprising. I agree. Well, and it was funny. It, it was written and directed by uh, David Ward, who did The Sting. He Is wrote he the screenplay for The Sting. Really? Yeah, David oh, Ward. Wow. Shit. Well, I got to tell you, he also you, wrote this, right? He wrote he this. He wrote this. Okay. So that's why going into it, I immediately wow. thought, oh, okay. Well, if this guy wrote The Sting. Wow. then maybe it won't wow. be as bad as I, because I was going in expecting it to be terrible as well, Jason. Yeah. And it, it was, that. yeah, I was surprised. I, I I didn't think it was bad at all. I thought it was fine. Oh, I just didn't, I, I didn't get as, as invested in it yeah. as, as you guys did, I don't think. There was something about it that just didn't work for me. And it was because, and I kept, and again, uh, you know, I hate to repeat myself. I kept thinking, well, maybe if it was someone like Chris Farley or someone really over the top like that, that would make it better. But then I thought, but would it? Or would that just make it yeah, silly and I stupid? Yeah. It, it, it might make and it more tonally. Someone... Like, it might be like 
I know what this is, and this is working on the level that is expect. You know what I mean? It's yeah, working at right. one level, and it's smoothly working at that yes. level. It's, I get the premise immediately. I feel it as soon as the guy walks in. Right. I, I, it gels earlier. You're right. It's like it doesn't quite gel because it doesn't seem like the right fit. But what you have in the end is like a a better actor yeah. making you, a little more of the material. Maybe you know what it, it it kept reminding me of, and I kept wondering if Peter O'Toole was going to end up becoming like a Frank Langella character. I kept thinking of the movie Dave, yeah. which I love. Oh, yeah, very yeah, yeah. similar. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. In, in terms of just in terms of the tone of of that sincerity of this, you know, this person who's put into this position that you know, of great power that mm-hmm. they're really not supposed to be in, but they but they try to take it as seriously as they can, and they're a good person. These are a few of our traditional English dishes, some of which you will be served tonight. Here we have roast beef and Yorkshire pudding, bangers and mash, and the ever-popular spotted dick. Spotted dick? Dick of what? These are the bangers. Sausages. The spotted dick is a dessert. Could I just have some ice cream? John Goodman is the kind of actor who can ride on energy, you know what yeah. I mean? Just high, high energy sometimes, but he can also pull it way the fuck back. And he's got those, he's, he's able to, to be skilled in, in that way. I like the moment um, you talk about physical comedy when he's trying to pour the tea and just sort of keeps, it's very subtle physical comedy, what he's doing there. And he just keeps trying, he keeps getting it caught on one thing and he's got to take it off and put it. It's very, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost, you know, it's almost like if you were to zoom in on what Charlie Chaplin does with his body, he's doing that with his hands. Yeah. <laughs> it's very choreographed that, that whole T sequence and, and O'Till's just sitting there going, Jesus Christ. And I, I was chuckling throughout that whole thing because you never knew what the th- next thing that he was going to screw up was going to be. It's yeah. a brief, like me- maybe a one minute sequence, but I thought it was great. He did great with y- it. You're hmm. right, Dan. And maybe that's the thing that, and again, forgive me if I'm, if, if I keep repeating myself, because I remember that scene in particular and I was, I felt a little underwhelmed by it, hmm. but it's because I think I kept expecting it to be bigger and more ridiculous, yeah. which doesn't mean, which it doesn't necessarily mean it would have made it better. And it might've right. been worse. It might've been sillier, but something about the setup of the movie. I just kept expecting it to be like blah, crazy. Like you said, yep. Jason chaos and it wasn't. And you're right. That was a really nice, subtle moment. Yeah. But yeah. my head, I wasn't, I wasn't mentally prepared <laughs> for it. So right. it almost threw me off. It's yeah. so funny I think watching. Right. That's a perfect way to describe it, Fred. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's you, you you have an expectation of something, and then you go, okay, this isn't meeting the expectation. But is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Yeah, it also has to do with formula, right? We've seen this formula. We just saw it in Meet Molly's Parks. Yeah. We saw it in Caddyshack. We see, we know what this formula is. We see it in these Chris Farley movies um, and, and things like that. Again, any any of these situations where it's like, you know, the the military, the presidency, the, the you know, the throne, <laughs> the like any like anything of like, uh, you know, there are rules and convictions and moral values and all all these kind of stru- all this structure. Structure, yeah. structure, and then the the wrecking ball. Who somebody who's a wrecking ball? And John Goodman is a, a teddy bear. He's not a wrecking ball. So this, so he he fits the second half of the movie where it gets warmer and fuzzier. There you go. And the relationships get get more sincere and heartfelt. He fits that 
a little more than he fit or a lot more than he fits i think in my opinion than he fits yeah. the earlier part of the movie which does seem to be setting us up like fred says for the type of com- the type of formula that we we know in our dna we we smell we it. We see it we, we know it. Yeah. yeah that's right that's right the that's entire royal point. family's dead some an American lounge singer is, is going to be king of England. And we can think of 15 people. We would say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it this guy? Is it this actor? No. It's, right. Oh, it's John Goodman? All right. Literally, it's just because he's heavy set. And right. they're like, oh, he's big. He's a big guy. The pants yeah. don't fit right. Oh, shit. You're too, but wear a pink tie with the aqua shirt. and the. No, you don't look. You're not offensive enough. You're not quite offensive enough. Will you pick your nose? No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, well, I don't, I don't know what to do with this guy. Can we rewrite the end? So he's like, you know, <laughs> kind. So and he good. has cred. <laughs> yeah. It just felt like they were pushing, they were trying to push it yeah. in that. It's almost as if during the course of it, they were like, maybe it's not going to be that movie. We got this, we've got this cast, yeah. we've got this team. How do we make this movie fit this guy? And then we hit upon it right. three quarters of the way through. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily what happened, but it's, it feels like that's what happened. It feels like it suits him more as it goes along i mean I my guess right. is if it was written by the guy who wrote the sting that it was it probably wasn't written as like a gross out mm-hmm. movie you know it probably was right. and and you th- there is you know it is a, a a smart script for the most part you know there there's i think so yeah there there, there was never a moment and and, i think it's again, well directed and, too i think it's, it's a, yeah, you can tell yeah, this is kind part. of a labor of love for this guy yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Yeah, there was never a moment, and, and there, there were a few moments when he was with, and I thought she was really good. Who is that, the girl who played the burlesque I've never dancer? seen her before her since. Ca- uh, Camille, I read her name earlier. She was great. It again. She was great. She, she was, was great. I was like, wow. Cam- Camille Kaduri. I don't know if yeah, that's how you thought, pronounce thought, it, but she was really she was sweet. You're not the kind of girl I'm used to. You can spell, you wear clothes to work. You just have more class, I guess. I'm just a sales girl from South London. Doesn't count for much class down here, but it's nice of you to say so. Look, I know our deal was just for one day, but do you think we could extend it? You don't really know me. There are things about me you might not like. Like what? You're beautiful, you're smart, you're honest. I should go. Thank you for a lovely evening. Thank you. Did it feels you... very trading places. It feels like Eddie, I said Eddie Murphy oh, before, and yeah. Eddie Murphy would have been a very, you know, it feels like yeah. a logical choice for this because yeah. he can ride that. He's And he's also very good at riding that line. He's pure chaos, and he's also a very grounded, sensitive, kind of sincere actor. Too. He can, like, tap into that, as he does in trading places and some other things where he... And so many other things. So and many things, yeah. He'd be able to hold his own in that scene with O'Toole, Whereas yeah. maybe definitely a Rodley Dangerfield would not be able to rest his soul. But, and, and you, you wonder about Jack Black, you know, you wonder if he'd be able to hang with O'Toole in a scene mm-hmm. like that, but John Goodman does it and it's, and it totally yeah. works. I wasn't born to this royalty crap said, you can't expect me to accept all these stupid restrictions. But what are the thousands of workers who will benefit from this contract? Maybe something else will come along. Will it? Are you willing to bet their future on it for a woman you've known only for a few weeks? You're asking me to marry a woman I don't know at all. I'm asking you to think of something larger than yourself. To accept a significant responsibility for once without beating retreat at the first sign of difficulty. I think it's time you made a stand somewhere for something. If not now, then when? How many Sheila's? (laughs) (laughs) 7.5. The wind. 
Yeah. What? 7.5. Wow. wow. <laughs> I really wow. enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. My <laughs> so notes are like, my notes are like, at the, at the end, right, this is what, what I have at the very end. Huh. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm crying. The end where they say goodbye moves me. I can't believe King Ralph got me. Is this four and a half Sheila's? Question mark? Five? Question mark? Five and a half? Question yes. mark? Yes. And that's where I left it. I was like, it's somewhere between four and a half and five and a half, which for a movie called King Ralph is not bad. If there's a lot of stuff I give twos and threes to. So I'm like, mm, Jason, I'm going to go. I'll go 5.5. There you go. See, wow. if, you're the high end five, my, if you're above yeah, five, that's, that's a thumbs up. That's, that's a Siskel and Ebert thumbs up. I think uh, that's a, that's a thumbs up. Four, four and a half. You, right, I, I you, you take the lower four. end of it. You brought it up. You brought it up to, I'll All give right. it a half, four and I'll a half. It, I'll give it a five and a half. Kate, I'll, I'll, one, I'll say, one funny thing. Kate was like, oh, I've seen King Ralph. And there's a lot, of, I mean, I've seen, <laughs> I see so many more movies than she does. I was like, you saw King Ralph? And she was like, yeah, saw it in French class. She was like, several <laughs> times. I was like, what? In high school, they showed, <laughs> the teacher had a, the French DVD of King <laughs> Ralph or videotape. And like with the dub. And so she's like, what? yeah, we. That was like she'd throw it on, and we'd like just watch King Ralph. And she said, "Or um, Ralph Louis is what <laughs> she said." La, Ralph Leroy. Ralph Leroy. Leroy. That's it. Wow. Leroy. I, I don't know any French, but she was that's... like, "You can tell the guys I've seen Ralph Leroy many times." That's Jesus, hysterical. that French teacher sounds like nothing but trouble. Oh, nothing but <laughs> oh, it is nothing but trouble. Chevy Chase. Hey, you just passed the Garden State Parkway South. Don't worry, I'll get you there. Demi Moore. Oh, no, cop. Driver, step outside the car, please. John Candy. This may be Valkenvania, but it is still America. And wouldn't mind, would you just write a ticket here? Or we could settle it some other way, perhaps? That's not the way things work around here. Dan Aykroyd. Put out that dog rocket! Nothing but trouble. While attempting to seduce lawyer Diane Leitzen, played by Demi Moore, wealthy gadabout Chris Thorne, played by Chevy Chase, agrees to drive her to Atlantic City because movie. But when Thorne's flamboyant Brazilian neighbors, including Taylor Negron's curiously named Fausto, hitch a ride and request taking a detour, they end up in the bizarre backwater town of Vulcanvania, where blowing through a stop sign not only gets them arrested by John Candy's super-officious police officer, but brought before a grotesque and vengeful judge, played by Dan Aykroyd, who sometimes, depending on the scene, appears to have a penis for a nose. Marketed as a comedy about small-town folks' disdain for rich and overprivileged yuppies, the movie often plays like a shoddy Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel, directed by Aykroyd in a fashion that suggests nothing less than a social experiment designed to make people who love going to the movies suddenly hate going to the movies. Nothing But Trouble made $3.9 million over its opening weekend en route to a total box office of only $8.4 million. Fred and Dan... While I feel the need to say fuck this movie early and often, oh, oh, oh. what did you guys think of Nothing But Trouble? I'm just going to, I'll let you go, Dan. I'm quitting this podcast because of this movie. Oh. <laughs> I've decided that if these are the types of movies we have to, I can't do it anymore. So but go ahead, Dan. So that, that's my last word before I leave the podcast. <laughs> no, no. He'll finish out the episode. Okay. We'll talk about Silence of the Lambs. 
but I did get, I received his resignation via fax. <laughs> wow. Via While fax? We were, yeah. Yeah. Via teletype? Um, <laughs> Actually, no, he called me on the time phone. I got that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, wait, uh, I don't have a time phone. <laughs> Go ahead, Danny. Uh, you know, th- this is a much maligned movie. This is the Ishtar of its day, right? Uh, I, I remember yeah. when this movie came out, so much bad press, so many bad reviews, so many reviewers saying, worst thing we've ever seen from Chase, from Aykroyd, from John Candy, from Moore, for worst movie of the year, worst movie of the decade. Mm. You know, I mean, disgusting, vile, horrible. I don't know. I didn't think it was all that bad. I thought that I, I got to go, guys. <laughs> Jason, I'm gonna- <laughs> I was expecting. I'm right I behind was, you, Fred. <laughs> I was expecting disorderly's level hatred i was expecting she's the one level vitriol this is a bad movie don't get me wrong this is bad but it's bad not for the reasons that i expected it to be bad it was bad because nothing nothing character wise is set up for us to be able to care literally zero you said it great in the intro jason they go there because movie. Who, <laughs> I know. What is his is job? Like, what? What is her job? I know. What is her yeah. relationship with where she's going? Why are they going there? Why are they going to Atlantic City? Why do they get on the road? Who are Taylor Negron and the other girl? And why are they in the car? And what? who are they all to each other? They, There's no they, inciting they, incident. And yeah. the, 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 what, they, what they try to make an inciting incident is insulting. It's insulting. It's, it, 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 it's to ins- the movie viewer, Fred. It's not. It's insulting because it's non-existent. That's what I mean. It does. It's not there. It it, it doesn't exist. It's it's they just so met. nebulous. She's like, can I borrow your car? I literally wrote. I was just, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? Yeah, I could. I what couldn't. The fuck what is, going is happening? On? I couldn't follow their their little conversation they have in the elevator because no. it's unfollowable. She and she grabs some papers out of his hand. He doesn't. She did care. take them from him, right, and not she return takes, them. Yeah. So what, yeah. what is that? And wh- how does that, I, I, I don't know. That's neither here nor there. That, I, I, I pass that off as like, okay, well, that's the MacGuffin for them getting to Ackroyd, you know, or whatever. Fine, I'll, I'll let that go. But you figure it's going to be some sort of impetus for them to have a relationship that they wind up coming back to or, or, or that they, they wind up caring. And there's, again, we've said this about so many of the movies on the podcast, there's no one to care about. There's nobody to care about in this thing. And that's the biggest misstep. The house, all the crazy things that happen at the house. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy amusement park funhouse movie. And had they I kind of had the same review I have of, of, of King Ralph in a way. Had they made this a kids movie where they go to scary if it's the house with the clock in its walls or whatever, if it's mm-hmm. some goosebumps type thing, you've got your movie or you go really dark to Tim Burton land and you go yeah. beyond Beetlejuice. I think Dan Aykroyd thought he was making the 91 version of Beetlejuice. He wanted, he, yeah. Beetlejuice was like one of his inspirations. Was it really? Okay. So that, yeah, that so that is you what can he was that. aiming for. And, you can see that. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I found after I wrote that, I have oh. a million notes about Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre in my notes. I was like, wow, it's like, that it has that kind of unsettling yeah. feeling even from when they first pull in which i think is maybe the best part of the movie is when they oh first of all junk. everything that gets us there is so annoying it's like i don't know why they're fucking here so i can't oh, even enjoy this but it is creepy as fuck when they're pulling into that place to the judge's haunted house yeah like, that's great here's a pile of toasters here's a pile of baby dolls here's a pile mm-hmm. it's fucking weird and it made yeah. me think of texas chainsaw 
well before I read, <laughs> oh, that that was one of his inspirations. One wow. of his inspirations was that. One of I them was Hellraiser, that. which he went to go see with a friend, and he was like, oh, we're laughing at this. We didn't want it. We wanted to see just a scary movie, but everybody's laughing. Maybe we'll make a horror comedy. And, you know, it was he, he and his brother wow. and another uh, writer or something. They were like, that's... So the impetus was coming from stuff like Tim Burton, real yeah. horror movies, dark places, mm-hmm. but then eh, it doesn't... It doesn't. Go, I don't think it goes there. I find it disgusting. No. I find the movie no. disgusting, but not scary. Just yeah. No, 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 no. That, that's why I'm saying you either go light, light, light and go kid or you go real, real dark to Tim Burton or beyond. And yeah. you you basically make it, you know, a horror comedy with heavy on the horror light on the comedy. You can't you, you know, you, you can't be in the middle and throw Digital Underground in there take out all take out all relationship take out all sense of us having to care about these people because you know guess what in texas chainsaw massacre you care about the people who are getting massacred you really really do especially the girl um and in tim burton's um beetlejuice you care about alec baldwin and gina davis because there is a firm relationship established you know what this reminded me of as well but with literally no heart or charm is rocky horror picture show no yeah there you go yeah it made me sort of think of that but again it's just I don't I don't know what the fuck Dan Aykroyd was thinking. Chevy Chase is abysmal in this movie. <laughs> I wanted to throttle him. He's so he's walking through it. He looks miserable. Yeah. He's oh, throwing yeah. in these one-liners at every moment. I, I because wish there's just... nothing funny for him to say in the script, Fred. He still is the Chevy Chase brand. He's like, I gotta Chevy Chase this up somewhere. It doesn't. It's awful. It's it awful. Work. He does it, the he does the Fletch prostate joke at one yep. point, and, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's just yeah. sad. It's a low rent it, version of Fletch. It, it, the whole thing is just. I mean, I, I, I may have preferred Disorderlies to this, <laughs> in some ways, just because you and me, both. <laughs> okay, now I mean, I, I really think this may have been. If you say you preferred, of, she's the one. Then I have to. I yes, will. I did. I preferred everything we've seen for this podcast to this. I'll go, I'll get underway in a second. But. Yeah. <laughs> you preferred weird science? Oh yes, yeah. I prefer weird science. I'm sorry, Fred. I keep cutting you off. I'm sorry. No, I it's I, no. I, please I, go it, ahead, Fred. This movie, it's 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 fucking awful, and they're they're really, you know, John Candy. Sort of comes out. I He's wrote, good. I, I yeah. wrote John. Can- I, I start to write. John Candy's really good, despite the shit he's surrounded with, and now he's in drag. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> then I'm like, wait, what? What is going on? I agree and with you. Yeah, but he's, you know, he's 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 really good between this and and um uh planes, trains, and automobiles. It, it, you know, with his podcast, really reminded me. I'm like, oh, he's a he he's really good. He's a good actor. Yeah. He's he's very funny. Uh, everyone else just, I mean, Aykroyd is just uh, ridiculous in it. Would John it's, Candy have been a good King Ralph? Good question. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. think? I think it could work. Yeah. I think yeah. it would have been not a dissimilar, I think, I think because he does same that. Wheelhouse. Same wheelhouse, but think of how annoying and cringy Del Griffith is at the beginning of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah, like, right, right. You know what I mean? And then you see the heart, the, the, this big, mm-hmm. vulnerable, warm there heart underneath. But he kind of, he meshes those two uh, qualities uh, a little more seamlessly. John Goodman is like working to be 
crass at the beginning because yeah. that's what it needs. But he's really the like we say the teddy bear. And John Candy kind of has both going on at the same time, or he can because we've seen it. Anyway, mm-hmm. King Ralph. How many Sheilas for King Ralph? Oh wait, I'm sorry, <laughs> I forgot. We're I mean, back here's in the thing: Th- this movie had all that chaos that we sort of were expecting. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, yes. it's got chaos to spare i mean at one point you know they're at dinner taylor negron and his sister jump out a window the policewoman pulls out an uzi insane and then chevy and demi moore they demi moore they throw they throw a napkin at dan Aykroyd. that's their big plan to escape they Mm -hmm. look at each other and they Mm -hmm. somehow know oh we're gonna throw napkins so they throw a napkin at him it's it's just so everything is so i i i i have been in this business, 52 years, and I will—I've never seen anything like this. You know, halfway through or, or three quarters through, I'm like, oh, I guess they're trying to do sort of like a bonfire of the vanities type thing. <laughs> you know, and sure, like maybe that. Uh, no, they don't get—they don't get close to it. And mm. I'm not talking about the movie. I'm talking about because you know we we all know the movie fails on many levels. But uh-huh. the book, what Thomas Wolfe was doing in that book about that idea of those the masters of the universe. You know, like th- this perceived invincibility of the wealthy so yeah. i thought oh maybe that's the idea that like mm. they're so clueless because again chevy chase as we just said has all these one-liners and all these and he just he doesn't he, he's not accepting the reality at all of what's going on mm. and i thought well maybe that's what they're trying to do that these people are so pampered and they live up in their high towers they don't even get it but, you know they live in another world but it right that's it, why the opening no. song is something like the high life or something like that isn't yeah, it yeah but it 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 doesn't work. He didn't know what he wanted to make. It's like, I want to make something like Hellraiser. I want to make something like Beetlejuice. I want to make, this is based on, he had an experience. It says, uh, there's. Uh, you read about it on Wikipedia or in some other, he once got in a, in a little town, got, got uh, pulled over, had to go and appear before a kangaroo court for like some $50 fine thing, and then wound up sitting and having tea with the judge afterwards for like four hours. It, like, it felt like he couldn't leave because it would have been rude. And he was like, it was such a weird experience. And I thought, what's the like, dial that up to like 11, 12,000 and like That's do a, a really- idea. Ca- it's not the worst idea in the world, but yeah. it's like, it's funny that it would be in Jersey. Like there is something funny that it would be in Jersey. Yes. How many times you're driving through Jersey and you just like these wastelands. It just has yeah, the gaslands. Yeah. It can't yeah. focus. It can't focus no. because he can't focus. I don't think Dan, Acker, I think he, he can, he's fine. He does a lot of things just fine. He's not, the greatest writer like people say you read the first draft of ghostbusters and you'd be like this would never get produced it would go right in the toilet it like it doesn't know what it wants to be it's three and a half hours long there are no human beings in it it's just you know you're on another planet and ghosts in the medieval space it's like it would just numb your (laughs) fucking brain he is too addled by by i i maybe he wasn't that big a a drug guy but i he feels like he must have been a gigantic drug guy <laughs> that, and his brain is just turned to mush by it. I just, and he's a he's a sick man. I will give him this. He's funny. He. I actually thought there was one part of the scene with the judge, and I was like, this is kind of interesting. This is a kind of funny character. Hey, hey, ho, ha, ho, <laughs> hula, 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 the bula, bula, bula. Look who's got the front seats of the Mexican hat dance now. Just like a bunch of spiders in a birthday cake. You might be interested to know that you are not under the jurisdiction of just any old fishing license dispenser and stamp pad jockey. We've always been set to deal with the offenders once and for all at their first appearance. Quick as sunk grease to a ten-year-old goose. 
he was kind of funny. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then it just went right down the toilet with all those disgusting sausages and things. And then he's pulling his nose oh. off his face. Oh, and God. he's just, it, it, this movie is like, you know when you have a stomach ache in your sleep, you're like you're you you you're in bed with a stomach ache, and your dreams just you get no relief. It's it's not just anxiety. It's it's annoying. It's it's upsetting. Things repeat themselves. You can't you can't escape. Your dreams won't let you escape. The dream could just be about going grocery shopping, but yet you keep taking Ajax off the shelf and putting it in the cart, and then you go back and you take it again, and you're like, why is my life? Why am I in hell? Why is this my punishment that I keep? trying to get the figure out where the ajax is i have it now i have to go back for it your stomach hurts and it cramps and you're upset you're upset the whole time i was upset the whole time when i saw the fat twins i actually got sick to my stomach i felt vomit rise i'm not kidding i actually felt sick and i at one point, I checked out and I started scheduling movies for us to review in 2022. I'm not <laughs> kidding. Wow. I just started looking at IMDb. I was like, I can't. I can only. My stomach won't let me absorb this into my system fully. You mean we're not going re- to we're not going to revisit this in 2022? <laughs> we might. The director's <laughs> We just we just might. And then the final shots of the movie. This close up of that penis nose, and then it cuts to uh, all of a sudden Chevy Chase is like, uh, like, like Bugs Bunny through a wall, yeah. and there's like Looney Tunes music, and Weird. Dan Aykroyd's yeah. like, "I'm coming to get you," and you hear like uh, some bad ADR of Chevy Chase saying, "No, you won't," and that's the end of the movie. And that's I thought it. to myself, I was like, "This is like if Ben, Ben Berman, Fred's son." Got you know, snuck into like there's a liquor cabinet somewhere in the house, and he got his hands on something, and he got for the first time in his life he got drunk. Oh, and he's oh, terrible. He's terrible, and he's fighting the urge to vomit and or sleep in order to make a movie with his friends. If twelve year old drunk Ben Berman made a movie against his will and his better judgment with some of his friends, it might be. That's how Nothing the man who got pissed off when he was pissed on <laughs> came about. He pretty much just summed it up. It's wildly upsetting and unappealing. It is. It, this is a. This is ten anti Sheilas for me. <laughs> this is ten negative Sheilas. It makes me hate movies and it makes me hate life. That's how I felt about nothing but trouble. I've never seen anything like this. It's pretty telling. Before before we started recording, Dan and I were talking about this before you hopped on, Jason. We were talking about those, the fat babies. Yeah. Because I, I thought one of them was Peter Aykroyd, but Dan informed me. It turns out that the other baby, so Dan Aykroyd plays Bobo. Right. The reason he plays Bobo, and I, from what I read, and I think this is telling, is because he could he didn't want to do it, but no one else, he couldn't get anyone to play that role. Right. No one else wanted to play it, so he did it. And Dan discovered that the guy who played the other fat baby was the same guy who who made the credits. Was it was was that it, Dan? Yeah. Um. So I looked. I I was like, oh, that one of those. uh, The the two, the uh, Bobo and Little Devil, have to be other people from the cat. I wonder if it's Ackroyd and Candy, or I wonder if it's Ackroyd or somebody else. You know? Okay, you see Bobo go up. Oh, that's Ackroyd. Little Devil um, was played by by uh, uh, someone else, and then I was like, "Oh, that's I've never heard of that person." And who right. is that person? You see their name come up again later <laughs> in the credits as like credits by. <laughs> 
I swear to God, I'm not kidding. I paused it on there of like credit graphic design by and whatever that actor's name. I always thought it was John Candy. They they couldn't get. I mean, it was like they couldn't get anyone to play these dumb fucking roles. That actor was like, "I'll do it." Well, I need someone to play my brother, and probably they all. And even John Candy was probably like, "Fuck that! I'm not doing that." I have some. I'm not getting in that stupid suit. But then the other thing is, your actual brother is in the movie, plays the doorman at the at the thing, and it's he gets a story by credit, Peter Aykroyd. Fuck it, make him the brother if he's. He he probably didn't want to do it because again, self respect. (laughs) So they got this poor schmuck who was just trying to work on his on his graphics and his credits Uh, and. Ackroyd didn't want to direct it either, but he did it so that it would get made so that he would basically be, it would like, uh, John Landis turned it down. Apparently. Yeah. A lot really? of somebody, yeah. John Landis turned it down right away. Somebody else was offered it and considered it before passing or wanted to do something to it. And Ackroyd didn't, I can't remember who it was. It was another, you know, pretty, uh, respectable, uh, name, but yeah, he, he came on, Ackroyd came on. He'd never directed before. That's the other thing. It's a lot to, you know, your first movie you're directing, especially when you don't want to direct a movie. Like, not only I've never directed one, <laughs> but I don't want to. I, yeah, I have no interest, to pawn really. It off to other people. Yeah. yeah, you'd like somebody else to direct it, but it's like, yeah. well, like, if I can't get anybody else to, I will. While also, every That's day you're on set encased <laughs> in those costumes. Right. That must have been misery. That must have been miserable for him, yeah. too. And as it should have been. He deserves <laughs> to feel miserable because I feel miserable. But oh, what a piece of shit! The, every, <laughs> every time I think it can't get worse than Baby's Day Out, it does. Listen, oh, ba- Baby's Day Out is come on, Citizen uh, Kane compared to this, pretty yeah. much. Pretty much. Uh, I do think it's better than Devlin Max Devlin. I no. do think it's better Disagree. than uh, than uh, that horrible Mike McGlone movie, and I do think it's nope. better than Disorderly gentlemen production design lovely art direction production design throughout very creatively done parts of it and yes and that and that alone that alone better yes a a better made movie than disorderlies but in in scenic design but not much more i mean not it's not really much better than disorderlies in terms of you know the quality of the film stock. Maybe they had Kodak. I don't know, but <laughs> they got Kodak on better. board. No Fuji for this. They went with Kodak. <laughs> it was terrible. I give. Why I, was uh, the Humpty Hump guy in there? Why was he? How did he make it in? Or just to sell for Warner Brothers was like, uh, yeah, we have a record. They wanted deal. a band, Absolutely. but it was so. I know. I mean, so I know the answer, but I'm like, it, I've never seen a, a, a worse example <laughs> of cramming. Like somebody on your record label into a movie. <laughs> what is his name? I'm saying Humpty Guy. The, what is digital, his name? Digital Underground digital is the name under- of the band. Digital yeah. Underground is the name What's of the band. his name? Tupac no, Shakur was there. Did you see Tupac? He used to be a member of Digital Underground. He co-wrote that song, and you saw him there what? in the movie. Tupac was yes, there? Yes, of course. He's standing right there. He's there. He's very prominently in the This is the scene. worst thing to happen to Tupac yeah. Shakur. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> Jesus. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Second worst. Oh, I was like, boy. are they in it? Because the lead singer guy also has a, a, a apparently a, a penis nose. a fake nose, like right. Dan Aykroyd who changes out noses like he's putting on yeah. a wig. I, I couldn't understand the logic other than, yeah, poor Endis. I hated it. <laughs> Zero Sheila's. Zero. Yeah, I don't give it. I don't give it a Sheila. I'm negative 10. <laughs> I really, truly am negative 10. <laughs> Gentlemen. I'm happy to announce on the opening opening weekend podcast (laughs) that I 
hereby bestow nothing but trouble. Oh, no. With two lovely Sheilas. Two is, that is a respectable I'll give you the two. two. I'll give you the two. Sure. Thank and a more you. generous evening. Yeah. I could, if I wasn't yeah. literally sick, to, if, I, if I wasn't like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to have to take something to battle back. <laughs> to take a bicarbonate of soda. Yes. Right. If it wasn't for that. I might have been like a little more generous, but I was mm. literally driven to the mm. toilet. Mm. 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 Um, two, mm. yeah, I really thought you were going to go higher. I'm happy to happy to hear. I was between we, one and two on it. I was between oh, that's one and two that's yeah. all right. That's how yeah. bad. I, I guess that's how bad the thing is that your defense of it is like a, is like <laughs> defending it to get it to a one Sheila. You're like, right. please, people, please. Yeah, no, you have I have to this be, one Sheila here. I let us, yeah. let us please bestow. What do I do with it? This one small Sheila. Here comes the mail. Let me get, let me just open up the old. Uh... Oh, look at that! A letter. We haven't had a letter. Just a good old fashioned letter. It's been a while. In a long, in a long. long time. In a uh, minute. From the desk of Doctor Merlot. <gasps> look at this. How nice. We are all free. QS, oh, Aww. interesting. QS kept uh, had been keeping us in a uh, a dark pit that he called the bungalow. <laughs> he would lower things down to us in a basket. Oh Ooh. boy, this oh, is no. I wouldn't. Ex- I wasn't expecting this. Oh, he kept God. asking Jacob Joseph to put lotion on himself <laughs> some days and honey other days. I don't know mm. why that would be. Oh my. Um, Adam successfully clawed his way out of the pit at one point. Well, that's um, good. But that's was really knocked back down. Nails. Yeah, those are very oh. strong nails on an aardwolf. Yeah. But thankfully, thanks to you guys, and thanks to Mr. Nolte, we have been released from <sighs> the bungholo. Isn't that a nice denouement that's to this wonderful. entire epic odyssey? Uh, Did Jack, you say the bungholo? I may have mispronounced it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I may have mispronounced what he wrote here. Um, Jack is back in LA. Eustace is back in, in San Antonio. Oh. Uh, it's been a long time since he's been at Sing Sing. I don't know if he's going to try to get his job back there. And I'm on my island in the Pacific Northwest with Richard Dreyfus, And we're trying to decide oh. how best to hybridize him. Oh, God. Ooh. And we're taking suggestions. Oh, okay. We're thinking giraffe. <laughs> we're thinking camel. We're thinking dolphin. What? Or we're what? thinking how could how do any of these work with a bee? With a well, that's what I'm saying. If, if his idea is you know, to be with his Sheila, again, he wants to be with you, Sheila or Sheila badly. <laughs> he wants to be with our Sheila very badly. How does a giraffe help him? Um, and the fourth option here is uh, is uh, antelope. I don't know how any of this helps. You know, I, I think uh, he said, but we're taking suggestions. So if people want to write in or call in, uh, or and 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 suggest some way to hide, what would be best? Um, I mean, what goes yours, best? Yours with, sincerely, Doctor Merlot. So what's best think? with murder hornet? I guess I'm- I really hope someone does write in because we, that's been, you know, we asked for erotic fan fiction a while back. Yeah. No one chimed in with that. I wonder why. <laughs> God knows why. I would think it would have to be another. 
another insect, but an insect that her instincts would not tell her to kill. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm not thinking outside That's the tricky. box enough. That's very tricky because hornets, you know, they they are murderers. They are murder hornets. They just kill other. They seem to kill other bees and bugs just for the sheer pleasure. You know, the, the way to really bring them together would be to hybridize Sheila and Richard Dreyfus <laughs> and just make them one horrible, just massive. To become one of being Wolf. of buzzing, yeah. stinging flesh. Yeah, no, I don't oh. want that. that. That's upsetting to me. That's like something from Nothing But Trouble. Nothing But Trouble, right? <laughs> yeah, here's this like machine, like the the stipulator, and you get in there, and you go and you become half a bee, and you fuse with your girlfriend, and uh, enjoy yourself. Yeah, they should fuse. They should, yeah, they should hybridize his nose with a penis, and then he can be in the sequel to Nothing But Trouble. What do you think, Fred? What what animal, if you were to pick an animal for Richard Dreyfus, the great Richard Dreyfus, to be hybridized with, what would you pick? Wow. Uh, I, I'm he has the like essence sort of, of like weasel. A, I'm thinking like a small marsupial. Yeah, like a oh. like a squirrel or something, right? Say an oh, that otter. Could be I'd say an, if we're <laughs> really going with like his spirit animal or like what he most resembles, I'd say a wet otter. <laughs> wow. Okay. You could see an otter going, yeah. <laughs> As it, you know, bra- cracks a, a clam open on its, on its, b- b- with a rock or something. And feeds it lovingly to a, a murder hornet. Yeah. Like a- um, you r- please write in with your thoughts. What do you think the nefarious Dr. Merlot should hybridize Richard Dreyfus? What animal should they hybridize him with? Please write in with your thoughts. Subscribe. Always tell your friends to subscribe as well, even if they don't listen. Doesn't matter. We don't care. We just need subscribers. And also give us the five stars. Give us the five stars or you go in the well. (laughs) The silence of the lambs. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength cautious precise and he's never impulsive he'll never stop but in order to track him down she'll have to match wits i'll help you catch him clary believe me you don't want hannibal actor inside your head jody foster is clarice starling a top student at the fbi training academy jack crawford played by scott glenn wants clarice to interview dr hannibal lecter played by Anthony Hopkins, a brilliant psychiatrist who is also a violent psychopath, serving life behind bars for various acts of murder and cannibalism. Crawford believes that Lecter may have insight into the case of the serial killer known as Buffalo Bill, played by Ted Levine, and that Starling, as an attractive young woman, may be just the bait to draw him out. Jonathan Demme's brilliant, disturbing, decidedly feminist psychological thriller was only the third film in history after 1934's It Happened One Night and 1975's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest to win Academy Awards in all of the top five Oscar categories. Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, Best Screenplay for Ted Talley, and Best Picture of the Year. Silence of the Lambs was a monster hit, spawning several sequels and countless imitators, It took in $13.7 million over its opening weekend, en route to $130.7 million domestically, and $272.7 million worldwide. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of The Silence of the Lambs? It's one of those movies, I don't know if you guys have felt this, I don't know when the last, if you guys, you know, watch this often, but it's one of these movies that at this point, it's it's been parodied so many times, it's such a part of... 
you know, pop culture and, you know, our, our, you know, film going DNA and, mm-hmm. and all that, that it, it, there's something that makes it a little hard to watch at first. Like as soon as, you know, Anthony Hopkins show up, shows up as chilling as it is, oh, that first you, know, shot you immediately him. go to the parodies, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and all the millions of times we've seen it done. You quickly get over that because you're like, holy shit, he's so goddamn good and she's so great. But it is funny coming back and looking at it now from that lens and also thinking, going, does this still hold up? Mm-hmm. And I, I think it does. Too, yeah. I think it definitely does. Um, I, I love right off the bat, like the setup is so great. I just love right when it starts, you, you, you see her running through the woods mm-hmm. and I, I feel like from a filmmaking and storytelling perspective, right off the bat, I was like, Ooh, like on this rewatch, I sat up and go, Oh, that's so good because it, it sets up a tone, you know? Yeah. The, okay. Obviously this is going to be a tension filled movie. There's something scary about it. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, a young woman running through the woods, but then she's, she's jumping, she's doing obstacles and you're going, okay. So you're learning about who this person is and that she's not afraid to just jump into obstacles and go for it. And then right off the bat, then you find out that she's in the FBI and in the training. And it's just, it's just a great way to start the movie and say, okay, here's who we're dealing with. Here's our protagonist. Even those credits, Fred, sorry to interrupt you. Even those credits in those big black and white block letters that are sort Mm. of invading the space. Usually credits are kind of like, you know, if you're seeing action happening, the credits are like over to the side or in the corner or outside of the main action. These are like invasive. Taylor was like, what's going on with that font? And I was like, I don't know, but it's big and it's, and it's, and it's in your face. This movie moves, you know, it, it starts going like, you know, it starts off, she's running. It starts with movement and it keeps going. Yeah. But it it's so wild that that first meeting scene, you know, when just going down and, and he's just there staring at her and it's just two people talking. Nothing really, nothing physical happens. Right. There's no violence. There's no There's a literal barrier no between blood. them. Yeah, but it's just the setup is... is yeah so well done they set everything up so you're terrified just for the anticipation yeah you know I'm just watching her walk down there yeah what's so intense first of all so much of the movie is her point of view is right. what she's seeing what she's seeing and so much of the movie is extreme close-ups yeah extreme close-ups of everyone's face everybody it's you're right in the face and that is intense it's intense yeah. and it's Maybe anxiety and a lot of times inducing looking right is in the, the camera. Wrong. Yeah, very often they're looking right at it because it's her point of view it's through her point so of much. View, of it. yeah. So it's like they're they, the actors are looking right at her. You are the ca- she is the camera, yeah. and then we become her. And it's really it's very, there's a lot very of down the barrel stuff in this movie. Yeah, you know? lots and lots and lots. And it's and that lens there's a there's a, an electricity and an energy to that that is uh, you know that is undeniable. So even if it's a a rather pedestrian conversation <laughs> or it feels like it could be I've obviously nothing with Hannibal Lecter as pedestrian but all of these encounters they're they're just they're they're charged in a different way because you're being put in literally put in her shoes and so you become her to some degree and you experience what she experiences and you feel it it, it is it's a very I was on the edge of my seat oh, yeah. with this movie and I've only seen it once I didn't see it in the huh. theater wow. I watched it on video when it first came out like just rented it very casually I watched it one afternoon 
years and years ago. So probably 91 or 92, whenever it was on video. I remembered a lot of it, but again, have not seen it since then, probably. Amazing. And yeah, and and absolutely loved it. And and there were parts I could not watch. There were parts it was too hard to watch. But and it's and it's less about how graphic it is, although it is graphic, mm. as just the the anticipation, the dread, yeah. the tension. It's just so goddamn well made. And there was stuff I was looking at through my fingers. And then I mm. and then afterwards I was like, you know what? That wasn't so bad. But in fact, it was beautiful, you know, artistically, the the big scene where those cops come to feed Hannibal Lecter and he put, you know, oh, where God, we really yeah. see him oh, unleash God. for the first time. Yeah. And I knew it was coming. I remembered it. And I was, I literally, I was like, I don't think there's been a movie we've watched where I was like, I, I gotta like squint. I can't, it's too much. It's too intense. It's too yeah. like, but I did, I watched it and I was like, Oh, actually it's filmed artistically. Jonathan Demi does such a beautiful job with mm-hmm. every frame of this movie. And I was like, that's, it's very, um, um, as as far as something can like this can be tastefully done or artistically done it really is it's it, it's beautiful but um yeah no yeah. i really that that thing that the point of view and the extreme close-ups were what i kept coming back to yeah. and i love what they talk about about coveting and that what you covet the first step in coveting is to see something and what you see with your eyes and and, and so much is just like i say seeing through her eyes and absorbing mm. what she absorbs the and then not to jump all the way to the end, but that, that, or to give anything away, but that there's a part of the movie where she cannot see. And we, mm-hmm. see, you know, like all of a sudden she is robbed of that. And we're seeing mm-hmm. through other eyes that we don't want to be seeing through. And it, yeah. it's just fucking it's I, I think it's really, really, really brilliant. And talk about eyes. She has mesmerizing eyes. But Anthony Hopkins eyes. I don't think he blinks. He doesn't blink. I was, I was clocking that too. Yeah, I don't think he blinks. He's like yeah, a lizard yeah. and he's, and yeah. they're intense. Those blue eyes, they are fucking, they, yeah. they're so, so intense. And uh, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's a mesmerizing movie. I thought it is. It it makes you not want to blink because you don't want to miss anything. Yeah. Um, you're so right about the use of close up, the shots, you know, uh, uh, sometimes extreme close up, but you, 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 the way that things are framed in this is in it's in an invasive way and yet strangely oddly in a sensual way mm-hmm. you know it's too close but yet you're going um oh her you know in that moment in the funeral parlor where you sort of get you know, the point of view, it's almost like your point of view is of one of the cops who's been watching her, watching her, watching her the whole time, because mm-hmm. she's constantly surrounded by male eyes in this movie and male bodies yes. who, that are taller than her, like constantly in the elevator at the FBI in that funeral parlor with all those cops, you know, and then there's this amazing shot of like, you see her turn around and it's like the hair it's almost like it's very much it's very hitchcockian the the hair um moves and you see her neck and it's like you you kind of go oh that's too close that's mm-hmm. too much that's mm-hmm. too vulnerable there there we know that all these guys around us this this thing is playing psychological tricks on you all the time yeah. it also is playing a trick on you that hitchcock did that all the great horror directors do to some degree i think which is not show you the violence you know yeah. you don't see the you don't see hamlet uh, Hamlet. You don't see Hannibal. You don't see Hannibal Lecter uh, slice the guy's face off. You right. say, you hear him say the line and pick up the uh, switchblade. You know you you don't see 
the um, nightstick making contact with Charles Napier's face. You hear it and you see the blood spatter. You yeah. don't see Ted Levine punching out, you know, his victim, the daughter who, who winds up You're going right. into the hole. You don't see that, that contact. You're, the, the things like that are left to your horrible imagination. You don't see him kill the people in the ambulance. You know, I'm spoiling the hell out of this, but you mm -hmm. know what I mean? You, you, you just, there is your imagination. He, Demi understands what Hitchcock understood, which is that in a way your imagination creates more horrible things mm -hmm. um, than, than we can, than we can show you. And that I think resonates through the sight, you know, sight is so important in this thing, as you said, yeah. you know, and that has resonance through the, through the end, because now, as you said, we can see, but she cannot. And there are all these things that we've been denied seeing that only exist in our imagination, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the death of Miggs is, uh, I don't really, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't want to understand it. You know, he swallowed his own tongue because Anthony Hopkins was talking to him yeah. and got inside of his brain. Kind How does that even I occur? Know. How does that physically occur? Did he bite his own tongue off and then swallow it? What, like what, what happened there? That's, you know, it's yeah. left to your imagination. And that's that someone else, the fact that he could get him to do to that. Do it. I thought that was really, you know, I mean, it was a brilliant choice. And I was reading a little bit about this. I think it was the the set designer came up with the idea of having a glass panel, you know, so this way they wouldn't have to shoot through bars. Mm -hmm. So there's that intimacy right. between them, which is so great. And they use it so beautifully, too, when I think it's mostly in the, the second time when she goes back. And it's just their reflections. Oh, and there's, so good. Yeah. there's a shot of her face. Yeah. And you just see his reflection, his reflection there yeah. yep, on yeah. the corner. And yeah. it's almost like it's it's it is it's like he's he's like a figment like getting yeah. into her brain right. you know it's he, he's more of like of an idea like somehow yeah. he's 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 a a, a, a ethereal ethereal and ephemeral yeah. sort of just seeping into her brain he's invading. There, you know yeah he's invading yeah quid pro quo i tell you things you tell me things not about this case though about yourself quid pro quo yes or no Yes and now, Clarice. Poor little Catherine is waiting. Go, Doctor. What is your worst memory of childhood? Death of my father. Tell me about it and don't lie or I'll know. Hey, forgive me if I'm wrong, the camera is so close in on Hopkins that it's hard to tell if this is what's happening, but it really does feel like when he asks her question, you know, the, that's a brilliant scene, the quid pro quo, like I'll give you something yeah. and then you give me what she's specifically told not to do. Don't tell him anything personal, yep. but that's all she has to barter with. It's all he wants is her personal experience. Yeah. He wants to get God. inside her head. So she agrees to do it. And so it's like, I'll give you a piece of information on Buffalo Bill. You give me something about yourself. And every time he receives that information, I believe he turns away from her and he just yes, listens. That's right. He's yeah. experiencing it in a different way. He has to, it's almost like, again, this stuff about the eyes and sight. And I think he's, mm. in some ways, there's lots of little jokes about it and little nods to it. I think he's pretty obsessed with her. I think he's attracted to her. I think he loves her, wants her, is fascinated by her. And I think it's almost like too much, like he has to divorce himself from the vision of her to adequately take in and process mm. 
well, her experience only. And, that's right? right. And he cares for her. He really does. You know, that's why Miggs is dead. Right. <laughs> that's right. Um, when she says, my mother passed away when I was young and then my father was killed, both times he processes that very deeply. You see him close his eyes and, and it's almost like he's saying, oh, poor thing. You know, yeah. there are no words there, but you see him process that. Similarly, when he when Ted Levine is doing, God, I love Ted Levine in this. When he's, when, when he's, he's doing amazing. Put the Lotion in the Basket, the famous I, I, scene. I, yes, I know what you're going to say. And she's screaming. He's near tears. Trembling. Yeah. He's yep. trembling because he is starting to feel for her and see her as yeah. a human being. He doesn't want to do that, which is why he calls her it. He places the lotion in the basket. I want to see my mommy. Please, no. I want to see my mommy. Put the fucking lotion in the basket. It's getting to him. Those two scenes are juxtaposed, you know, are, are in yeah. a way juxtaposed in the movie. Now they're not back to back, I don't think, but but they really hit me hard of like, oh, you know, the, these aren't just robots. They're humans. A. B. They are feeling, but maybe one is trying to feel and one is trying not to. We're interviewing all the serial killers now in custody for a psychobehavioral profile. Could be a real help in unsolved cases. Most of them have been happy to talk to us. You spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. See, the one we want most refuses to cooperate. I want you to go after him again today in the asylum. Who's the subject? The psychiatrist, Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal the cannibal. I don't expect him to talk to you. But I have to be able to say we tried. She is, I, I wrote this down too, she is ex ex almost exclusively surrounded by men and having to negotiate you know, all her dealings are with men, her significant dealings are with men, and she has to negotiate all those moments. I love that moment where she's, she's speaking to the male cop. She needs access to Lecter, right? And there happens to be a female officer sitting there. And she right. looks to the female officer, and the female officer they exchange, you know, like, right, right. Finally, right. there's somebody else who's lived her experience to some degree and is in a position of power to then say, okay, you know, I, I don't even think she has a line, but I think we see the look on that female officer's face yeah. and she confers ever so briefly, like instantaneously with mm -hmm. the male officer, and then Clarice is given access. It's that tiny thing. It's like, it, you talk about boys clubs and everything. It's like, you need somebody in the room. You need yeah. representation. Otherwise, yeah. she can get, you know, almost nowhere, right? Literal and, access. It is the literal, literal access, access moment. Literal access. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even wrote the word access. Group. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they and set I, that up, like, right, again, you know, talking about what I was saying earlier about just setting up you know, who this person is in the world that she lives in. I mean, right, you know, within the first couple of minutes of the movie, she walks into the elevator and it's little Jodie Foster surrounded by all these. That's what men, I was saying. You know? yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's, it's a great. You great, see that moment. sort of mirrored many times throughout this thing. When they're at the, I guess it would be the autopsy. Yes. Oh, yeah. And they're passing around the, um, I don't know what it is, but this screen, obviously it's to mute uh, and the, the smell of the, the, smell, the, yeah. the decaying yeah. corpse, whatever that, uh, balm or salve or whatever it is it looks like uh, you know some sort of like yeah. little lotion or cream that they put a dab under each nostril and the guys are all putting it there and she takes it and she turns away from the camera she turns away from the men and she applies it you don't see her apply it no. it's 
there's she's seeking privacy, even in that, even to put something. And this is maybe quite a stretch, but the poor woman in the earlier scene, she's literally ejaculated on, right? That it makes throws at her hair, at her face. And then she has that. The most emotional she is in the movie, I believe, it it almost is the breakdown after that occurs, right? That invasion. And there is something subliminally, maybe even about like, there's all these men applying white liquid to their yeah. face everybody and handing it to her to do the same and it's there's something private about it. there's something uh, something that, 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 again you say sensual sensual about mm. touch and tactile and 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 creams and lotions and and liquid and it, I, it, again it's there's something about it that is she feels the need to turn away from them and take a private moment to just apply yeah the cream that will allow her to like view the body is very telling. It's just very, it's such a tiny, tiny moment. And it stuck with me almost as, as, as much as anything in this film. I just, I, I it's an intimate, so brilliance. it is a private in, moment. So it's an intimate. intimate moment. I didn't put it together that she was turning to do that. I think that's absolutely what Demi is doing. It's why he's making, he's making those, he's making kind of two moments into one, you know, it's what great filmmakers do. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I have an opportunity to storytell and character tell at the same time. Yeah. He, I think she turns away to steal herself for the eventual seeing of the body, right? Because, that was what, that was the impression that I right? got. Yeah. But I absolutely still think that what you're saying is happening in that moment because Demi is going, here is where we can also reveal something about character. Um, um, yeah, we, it really felt like she was seeking privacy moment. in the moment. It's very interesting. I, I, th- that's how, I think how it's I've both. Received it, yeah. It yeah, I think is. it's. I think it's both. Yeah, right. And you know, how about that? How about that relationship with Scott Glenn? You know, it is fatherly, but it's also fucking. They're sitting too close together on the in the car, you know, and on the and on the in the. Uh, are they in a helicopter at one point? Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. there's like shoulder the end, shoulder. Shakes, they, they shake hands. They shake extreme hands. Extreme close up of the. Pr- the flesh pressing and it's just a little not that it's It's, too long but it's just interesting it's it's an interesting slow deliberate Mm -hmm. intense is the word i keep coming back to but it's it's very simple but it's it's pronounced it's a pronounced connection physical yeah i was curious about that why they chose to do that close up on the hands and make that sort of a moment i have to say i was a little there was a part of me that was a little upset that they did that i didn't want there to be any sexual mm. tension there between them. I thought it was, I, I was like, are, are they, are I don't they, know that there is. I think it's I perceived tension, you know, maybe it, it, and Elector even asks about that. And she's like, no, yeah. no, no. But it, it puts that seed. It invades our minds with the seed of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I never got that through the movie. I never, I never got the impression that he was hitting on her or he was inappropriate. I mean, I never, I, it, no. I, Honestly, actually didn't really notice that they were sitting too close together. There was anything between them. But then there was that moment at the end where I thought, wait, are they are, are they trying to put too much on the fact that every male is trying to, to somehow get, you know, know, into her head or get into her body? And that seemed like it, it was it was. I think stretching so, it a little too much, but I don't know. But you might be right, Dan, that maybe I, it, there were really there was nothing there. But it's just more of that idea yeah. of what, how do you perceive it? Exactly. But then why would you do that? What's the point of that? Well, that leads me to my big question is, what is the theme of this movie? Our belly wasn't born a criminal, Clarice. 
He was made one through years of systematic abuse. Billy hates his own identity, you see. What I kept coming back to was uh, evolution, transformation, metamorphosis. All this image of, of the, the chrysalis and the, the butterfly and, and, huh. and, and wanting to become something else and how Jodie Foster seems to come into her own and evolve through the movie. Because I think she does. I think she not only does she come into her own as an agent, but as a, a, a woman a little bit. And I think even, you know, moments of situations where she has discomfort earlier in the film, as the film proceeds, she seems to get more comfortable, <laughs> no pun intended, in her own skin. And uh, uh -huh. Uh -huh. I, I don't know. I thought that's that's something. I don't know that that it's not just from the beginning of the film when we meet her, but it's about her evolution from her her childhood, her youth, her the the quote unquote white trash origins, and how far she's come. And uh, there's just a lot there about reinvention. And uh, I, don't know. I don't know. I think you're on the money. It's becoming who you ultimately are going to be. You know, yeah. it's the journey from what you have been to what you will be, from chrysalis, from pupae to butterfly. Yeah. Um, when you're cocooned, you're you're unless you're Wilford Brimley, you're surrounded <laughs> by not water in a pool with Ron Howard and Steve Gutenberg, but you're surrounded by <laughs> well, in Jodie Foster's case, you're surrounded by, like we said, these male yeah. figures. So I guess maybe that is like Cocoon because Donna Michi's there. But you know, that's all actually of these really other brilliant male though, Dan. All these males surrounded by surrounding males, surrounded her. by men. And then in the end, we're led to believe that like Scott Glenn, yeah. they're like, well, we found him and she's in another state. And he's like, oh, it's 400 miles away. I can get there. And she's, he's like, don't worry about it. You, yeah. you took us over the finish line. We'll, we won't forget it. But we just happen to physically be close. We're going to take care of it. And right. then it's actually the opposite. Alone. And she's the only one alone. Yeah, no men around her. Yep. No one around her. No cocoon around her. That segment is brilliant misdirection. Yeah, no cocoon around oh, her. So no. Oh, that's fantastic misdirection. But oh yeah, no God. cocoon. No the doorbell ring because I thought I was like, oh fuck. I was like, oh, they swapped it. She's <laughs> going to where Ted Levine is, and they're going to the wrong place. But then the guy with the, the box of flowers hits the doorbell, and you see Ted Levine's buzzer ring in the bed. And I'm like, oh right. no. Yeah. I guess the cops are there. That's brilliant misdirection. That every yep. time they do it three times. He presses yes. the doorbell and Ted Levine's doorbell rings and you're like, well, that's it. Jodie Foster's not in the same place as him. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. So well yeah. done. Yeah. Brilliant. So that cocoon provides protection, but it also prevents you in a way from becoming what you're going to be until yeah. you, until you burst out of it, until you crack wow. out of it and, and you guys are smart, are able to fly, you know? <laughs> No, you are. That's 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 that makes a lot of sense. That's very good. It's very good. I also I thought it was so interesting too. And and one of the things that I really love about the movie is how they and and maybe you know maybe you're asking why this movie stood out so much mm -hmm. and because it, it is so different. It's a different type of horror movie, and it, it's you almost can't categorize it in many ways. Mm. And you know the tropes are so. I guess, you know, we, we talked about this when we were doing the horror movies, you know, in our favorite Halloween movies that usually, you know, the bad guy, the scary guy is sort of the, the person behind the mask, which, you know, Anthony Hopkins, you know, Lecter definitely does. I mean, he has that mask with that iconic, terrifying yeah. mask when they roll him out. Um, oh, God, but, yeah. But, you know, to have, to have someone so smart and so intelligent as that sort of, you know, the killer role, the, the big bad role. He's so much scarier, who, yeah. Yeah, and but also I love how um, what is her name? Uh, Brooke Smith is the woman who plays Catherine. 
the girl mm. who gets mm-hmm. abducted. She's fantastic. And yeah, she's, great. she's great in Vanya on 42nd Street, if you've ever seen oh, that. She's terrific oh, in that. Fire. No. Yep. But I, it's just so well done how she's so human. You know, normally, again, in a, in, a, in a horror movie or something like this with, you know, you you meet someone, you meet the young girl, usually they're killed, that's it. So it's nice to sort of, you get to go on this journey with her yeah. as well. And then she turns the tables on him. Yeah. She's smarter. Which yeah, I she outsmarts love. him because of the dog. Yeah. And I, that was something that I remember when I first saw it and it always stuck with me. I just thought, always thought that was such a great device and so great that they did that. And they, they gave this character more of a life. And so, because you don't, it's not like you meet any of his other victims. You know, you see them in pictures, yeah. but usually that's the trope of movies like this is that you'll see the killer with one of the victims, they're introduced and they're killed off. This, you you meet one of the, the victims who never becomes a victim. Yeah. And you sort of mm. go through the journey with her, which is terrifying just to think like, oh my God, what you, and she's brilliant in the role. I mean, it's just her, it's it's terrifying to see what she's going through, but I, I oh, always yeah. really appreciated that they took that direction. With that character, yeah, yeah. that she was so uh, had as much autonomy as she possibly could have. You mm. know, she's a, a smart. You know, and the the mother, the senator, is also very smart. You yeah. know, they they make mention of like how smart it is. The what she saying the, the name, the, the, the televised message, trying to humanize her. Also, this you're gonna think I'm crazy. That little poodle. I'm sorry. Poodles look like lambs. White poodles look like lambs. Sure. There's something. It looks like she's carrying mm. a little lamb out of mm. that. Oh yeah, no, you're probably house. you're probably absolutely. I don't right. think I'm it's sure by that... mistake, you know. But yeah, I mean, it I... might be. I might be reading too much into this, but I just think it's it's a movie that seems to think on all those levels and and be working on all those levels. So why not, you know, yeah. <laughs> why not go with it? What became of your lamb, Glory? I killed. You still wake up sometimes, don't you? You wake up in the dark and hear the screaming of the lamb. Yes. And you think if you save poor Catherine, you could make them stop, don't you? You think if Catherine lives, you won't wake up in the dark ever again to that awful screaming of the lambs. Apparently based a lot of his performance on uh, Hal from 2001. Oh, that's... I read. That's oh brilliant. wow! That was a big thing that he thought of him almost like he was That's like brilliant. this omnipresent computer, <laughs> yeah. you know, wow. like AI. Kind of, was just always yeah, there wow. and knew knew everything. And what and what did he say? He, Jeez. I was reading somewhere there was a moment, and maybe it's when you first, when maybe it's that first moment when you when you're first introduced to him that he suggested that to uh, to Demi that like he wanted just to be standing there because he wanted to have the feeling that he knows everything. Yes. Yeah. You know, that he's always listening. He's, he's omni- always there. It's, it's, waiting. it's a touch of the Ian Holm android in, uh, in Alien, too. Right? Oh, it's yeah. Like, it's like a little yeah. bit of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There is some of that. Yeah. And he said he based his voice on a, it was a mix between Truman Capote and, um, yeah. was it Betty Davis? Or not Betty oh, Davis. Oh, wow. Uh, Catherine that Hepburn. Hepburn, it all makes sense. That. All all yeah. those are in the blender there. They're all yeah. in there. Yeah, it's really great. It is. It is. It made me think. When I was watching it. I was like, well, this is like, like Heath Ledger, Dark Knight, like just such a like a big character, but also so grounded and so terrifying and so amusing and so compelling and so 
horrible but likable and sc- I mean just you, you know do just kind of like him it's boxes. weird you, you yeah, absolutely you kind do. Of like him it's weird he's turned into a hero in a way because yeah. he can yeah. help her because he because he <laughs> because he uh oh. again the thing that I say the thing that seems to affect her or brutalize her most in the film is what Miggs does to her and then when you get the news that he talked Miggs into basically like, offing himself yeah it's clearly in defense of her in protection sure. of her when he she comes in in the rain and he gives her a towel through the th- i mean yeah he's so caring of her and we yes. love her and are her and uh, you know we want her to be okay so if he's on her team then you know yeah well it's so funny he's they my say, friend too right they say and he's gonna come he's after right? you and she's like he won't come after me he would consider it rude <laughs> how many sheilas <laughs> i'm gonna go nine on this one gentles nine I'm gonna go ten. Yeah, I had a feeling you would. I, I just I'm don't go see. Nine, I'm gonna go nine point five. Wow, right in the middle. I don't know what's holding me back from a ten, but right there's the something. Middle. As I was watching it, I thought, "Is this a ten? But you know what it is? I I didn't love it as much as seven. I see. I did, and I that was the mm. barometer I was using. I was like, "God, this is like fucking." But I still thought it's, I think yeah. still think it's brilliant. Yeah. So, but there's something about it that's calling out to to be a nine point five to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Next week, we return with a new episode. We are traveling back to February 19th, 1999, and the wide release of Wes Anderson's Rushmore, starring Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, and Olivia Williams. Uh, The premiere of Office Space, starring Ron Livingston, the Mike Judge film, which has uh, uh, become quite a, a cult classic. I love that movie. Haven't seen it in a long time, though. And our third film next week is October Sky, directed by Joe Johnston and featuring Jake Gyllenhaal, Chris Cooper, and Laura Dern. So that's next week on opening weekend. Dan, what you got for us? Is there anything from Signs of the Lambs? No. Not, there's no Mary had a little lamb. No, <laughs> yeah. I think I have to do Mary had a little lamb. Mary and Molly. Let's do Mary had a little lamb. And then good golly, Miss Molly. Mary had a little lamb. Be a nice warm up. that sound anything like good golly miss molly what what song yeah. are you doing no i got the mary had a little lamb and i thought you were going to break before you started good golly miss molly so i didn't realize you would sw- i thought i thought oh there's a te- there's a verse to mary had a little lamb i'm not <laughs> familiar with thought. and then i caught on and i i i went with the flow of good golly miss molly i thought oh he's doing the traditional version of mary had a little lamb i'm not familiar with this <laughs> how do you think it goes no, 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 Mary you did it. You did little... you did it. And then I thought, but then when you kept going, I didn't realize you were going right into the next. So then I was like, oh, I guess there's more that I don't remember. I didn't know you were going into Did I Good do Twinkle Twinkle Little Star by accident? No, no, no. You did you did Mary Had a Little Lamb and you did it beautifully. I just didn't know you were doing both back to back, both that and Wait, Molly. Mary back had a little lamb go. Mary had, had a little lamb. Oh my god, that's why I'm fucking thinking of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. You are thinking oh, no. of Twinkle Twinkle. You're thinking of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Yeah, that was my fault. That's so funny that that's what I thought I might have done by accident. See, we're very connected. My misperception. It's like King Ralph. <laughs> I, I I was expecting one thing and it was something else. <laughs> 
The Opening Weekend Podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Oh, 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 that's great. That's great. Just let me grab a pen. <laughs> that's Gilbert Gottfried. Affleck. <laughs> 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 <laughs>